0: man oh man it's going to get real today we have a huge episode coming where we reverse engineer the bobby kennedy and jfk assassinations if you think they got sloppy with jfk wait until you see how sloppy they got with bobby in fact many believe that jfk was meant to be a warning to bobby it did not have the desired effect and they had to clean house after and take bobby out as well now i'm not going to beat around the bush because a lot of people have and a lot of jfk and bobby assassination investigators have not cut to the chase and just said it was the cia involved in the assassinations i think at this point uh it's an absolutely yeah it's for sure The CIA was definitely one of the intelligence organizations involved with the planning, undertaking, and carrying out of this horrific scenario with two assassinations. Just wait until we blow the seams off of this and uh, show it like it's never been shown before. Reverse engineering the two assassinations, JFK and Bobby Kennedy we're going to reverse engineer the bobby kennedy assassination tracing it back to jfk and we have a ton of info on jfk now i'm not going to do this myself i have an amazing guest today and this is going to be a stunner considering they actually own the gun that killed bobby kennedy we're going to get to that and a whole lot more so buckle up and prepare to blast off
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
0: <laughs> Come blast off in my time machine Third eye feel like it need vising Blast off, blast off, blast off, blast off Come blast off in my time machine Third eye feel like it need vising Blast off, blast off Blast off. Blast off Blast off! on another epic episode of the Hyper Anomalous Esoteric Research Organization Podcast, aka Hero Paranormal, broadcasting from the base at La Madre Mountain, just south of Area 51. My name is Ryan, the Anomalous Ambassador of the Airwaves, bringing you an unbelievable episode today. On today's episode, we have a fantastic individual, an amazing person, and someone that I have to just get it out there I actually love. I love them. They are near and dear to my heart. In fact, they are family, and that is Lori Banks. Uh, It's my wife's sister. Now, Lori is a dynamic individual who has conquered corporate America in ways that are so difficult to explain. But that's not what we're going to get into. We are going to get into the conspiracy and the fact that she owns a fantastic piece of history the actual gun that killed Bobby Kennedy. Not only that, she has managed to, to gather an amazingly vast amount of information surrounding the entire ordeal situation and the case in general. She has done a lot of investigative work, done a lot of research, and contacted a lot of individuals involved with this in an ongoing and developing investigation. But what we have so far is fascinating. It's enough to reverse engineer, unwind, and finally shed some light on something that is one of the darkest events in American history. Lori Banks possesses more than 20 years of progressive business experience which has led to a strong background in business development sales and marketing strategic account management strategic planning multi-site operations management supply chain management logistics and distribution not to mention project management she is a military veteran so she knows a little bit about how government works and holds a bachelor's of science degree and an MBA from Pepperdine University. She has worked as a vice president for strategic accounts, a senior director of sales strategy, head of business for North America, chief revenue officer, and a senior advisor. No slouch when it comes to information gathering. I could go on and on because her business experience is truly staggering and one to be proud of. For the sake of time management, we are just going to cut to the chase and get to the goods let me just say she's one of the smartest people I know. So she is very capable in the realm of business and understands that human relationships are what make things happen. Now, this is important because human relationships come into play when it comes to this particular conspiracy, the death of two brothers in a seeming coup d'etat of sorts undertaken by various arms of intelligence worldwide. Now, this is extremely prevalent at the moment, and it should be what everyone is talking about, but it isn't. The National Archives recently released 13,173 more JFK assassination files, which I believe are related to the assassination of Bobby Kennedy as well. There are a lot of records that had previously been released and redacted so, about 70% of those records may now be released in full. Unfortunately, it seems as if our administration is still keeping the wraps under this, and there is not the transparency we wish we had. However, we have a little more to go off of, although not much. What is completely baffling, in my opinion, and that of many others, is that those in positions. Of authority who have been privy and able to see the complete files in their entirety have agreed that there is a direct correlation to intelligence. What I'm basically saying is they have said that the CIA was involved in one form or another with assassinations. Now, Tucker Carlson recently spoke to someone who had access to the still-hidden CIA documents, a person who was deeply familiar with what they said, and he asked this person directly, did the CIA have a hand in the murder of John F. Kennedy, an American president? Here's the reply. Verbatim. The answer is yes. I believe they were involved. It's a whole different country from what we thought it was. It's all fake. So there it is. It's all fake. What we are told through mainstream media is usually not correct and unfortunately this has been hidden for over 60 years so they have said nothing at all. Makes you wonder how bad could it actually be, right? If we did have information on this, in particular we're adults, we could handle it. We are not children. We are not going to go off the handle. What we might do unfortunately is destroy the Central Intelligence Agency which, unfortunately, is never going to happen. Now, one thing we can assume on the particular status of the JFK assassination is that there are key players, key players who were contractors for the CIA and the Mossad. Yes, there is Israeli involvement. In fact, it has been deemed, in my opinion, that major involvement was taking place, in the form of uh, multiple Mossad agents and intelligence factions coming out of Israel. Take Meyer Lansky, who many claim is a crime boss, if you want to call him that. But in reality, he is more of an asset from an intelligence perspective. And he had also worked for Richard Nixon. He blackmailed people. He had smuggled weapons to Israel. Very well connected. So I think we can toss out the whole idea of a lone gunman and a magic bullet and the fact that Lee Harvey Oswald pulled this all off on his own. I think everyone at this point can pretty much agree that that's nonsense. The same can be said of the lone gunman Sirhan Sirhan and how things went down with Bobby Kennedy. Also nonsense. Now, there is a lot of evidence suggesting that there were imposters For Lee R.V. Hoswalt, for example, agents and contractors designated decoys, if you will, placed into service years before the event and drawing attention to themselves. Much like, for those who have not heard the Isaac Cappy episode, much like the homeless man who was dressed like Cappy, looked like Isaac Cappy, and for months in the location where Isaac Cappy presumably perished off of the bridge in Arizona. Now, why would intelligence factions place these designated decoys in locations prior to these assassinations or to these false flag operations? The reason is simple. You construct a narrative beforehand so that when it plays out, nobody is the wiser. Genius misinformation, or disinformation, or actually planting of seeds before the information even comes out. As much as I despise some of these tactics, you really have to hand it to these guys in the intelligence community and take your hats off to them because they are brilliant. But I digress. Back to the topic. And to our most amazing guest, who will help me unwind and reverse engineer this entire situation... Surrounding the events and information gathered through investigation of the Bobby Kennedy assassination. The keys to unwind the whole kit and caboodle. If you think they were sloppy with JFK, wait till you hear how sloppy they were with Bobby. This all leads us back to the same place. She is the owner of the weapon that killed Bobby Kennedy. Such a great person, so knowledgeable, and... It's going to get real. Lori Banks, welcome to the Hero Paranormal Podcast.
1: Hi, Ryan. Thanks so much for having me.
0: This is just a treat because I know you've done a lot of research and you have a lot of involvement surrounding the Bobby Kennedy assassination, but it's more than that. You actually own the weapon used to kill him. How, where, where, do we, where do we go from here?
1: <laughs> yeah, so let me take you back a little bit um, and let you know um, some facts about the assassination and then take you through how I got involved um, with this you know, very historic assassination um, and how I came in contact with um, the gun that is now considered to be probably the gun that shot Robert Kennedy. Um, Just starting back in the assassination, so Robert Kennedy um, was assassinated on June 5, 1968 at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles, which many of us know. He had just won the Democratic nomination uh, for U.S. president, um, and he actually, after being shot in the pantry right after his speech, um, he died the next day at the Good Samaritan Hospital in Los Angeles. Um, There was a um, young 24-year-old Palestinian immigrant named Sirhan Sirhan, which may sound familiar to you, Ryan. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And he was um, in the pantry that night dressed as a waiter, Um, and all accounts and eyewitnesses put Sirhan Sirhan about uh, two and a half feet um, in front of Robert Kennedy. Why this is really important is because um, the famed coroner, Thomas Noguchi, said that the fatal bullet came from behind. In other words, the gunman had to have been standing behind Kennedy uh, to have killed him, not two and a half feet in front of him. So what's interesting about this is that um, there are so many conspiracy theories out there um, that you know lead to how did Robert Kennedy actually die uh, and who was responsible for killing him. And <clears throat> that's interesting because there are several theories that have arrived. First of all, it's important to note that Kennedy was actually shot three times. Um, the fatal shot was behind his ear, and it was within an inch of his skin. So the gun was very close to the back of his neck, right below his right ear. Um, he had another shot that was fired and then one that tore through his arm. Um, and so there were three shots, and then five other people in the pantry were shot. And seven of the bullets that were shot were actually found within those bodies. So there were two in Kennedy, five and five other people, and then one that tore through his arm would have gone somewhere in the wall. Um, Sir Han's gun only held, it was a .22 pistol, and it only held eight shots. Um, and this is really important because um, they found many bullet holes in the walls and the door frames of the pantry so if seven bullets were embedded you should have only found one more bullet um, in the walls but they had uh, bullet holes and other things um, and many, many people suggest the bullets kind of you know skipped around the room and enlarged in the people but we all know that's kind of silly um the the, the three three different sort of conspiracies um Hanging around three concepts one is a Manchurian candidate, but Sirhan Sirhan because he's a Palestinian immigrant was Confronted by the CIA and was psychologically programmed to kill Kennedy because to this day He doesn't have any memory of that night Um, The second theory is the polka-dot theory there was a lady in the polka-dot dress that you know, uh, was very suspicious and they believe that maybe, um, you know, she was in various locations at the Ambassador Hotel um, and she had CIA ties and there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, interest surrounding her. And then the third um, uh, sort of conspiracy theory is around the second gunman. And that's sort of where I come in, right? So there was this uh, security guard who was hired by a security detail to, be at the Ambassador Hotel that night, and the gun or the security guard that actually was standing to the right of Kennedy, ushering him through the pantry, was a guy by the name of St. Caesar, Thane uh, Eugene Caesar, to be correct. And he was in firing position. Now he claims he had a thirty-eight pistol on him that night. It's interesting. After the assassination, he disappeared and then showed up later. Um, and so by the time they did get to him, you know, he had a thirty-eight. Um, later in interviews, about two weeks later, by the FBI, she Caesar said he did have a Harrington and Richardson twenty-two pistol, but had sold it before the assassination. So, just a little bit of background, right? Mm-hmm. So, FBI never recovered his twenty-two, and the you know future president of the United States is dead. Now, where I come into this, Ryan is in two thousand and five timeframe. I started a company called Chapman Ventures, and we were financing uh, entertainment projects in LA. And I had met a producer named Bo Carson, and Bo talked to me about this project that he had gotten involved um, uh, with the FBI called In the Company of Spies that he had produced um, in the early 90s. And after he produced that movie, an FBI agent said, Hey, if you like this one, you should go to this small town in Arkansas and do some digging, and it's around the second gun theory. And so I was immediately hooked after hearing Bo's story about what happened in this small town in, you know, 1968, 1969, right after the assassination, and I immediately signed the rights of the producer, the script, and, um, you know, all of the persons involved that were still alive.
0: This is fascinating, and this is where I really—this th- is where I get blown away—is this small town in Arkansas and the Second Gun Theory. This has yeah. so there's so much going on when it comes to Thane Caesar. My goodness, where do we start? What are your thoughts of this? Is where I think the story gets wild with the children, yeah. the kids, the how? Yeah. How do we? How do we? How do we jump off to that?
1: Yeah. yeah so. Uh, what happens? And I'm just going to start of uh, the uh, gentleman named as Jim Yoder. And all of this you can research publicly. Uh, Jim Yoder worked at Lockheed Martin with Thane Eugene Caesar. He had bought um, a pistol from Thane Caesar, and uh, actually was an avid gun collector. He had a bunch of guns. He moved to Blue Mountain, Arkansas, when he retired, and um, basically ran. Uh, you know, lived lived in this small town. Um, and became friends with a lot of the, you know, the youth in the small town. I think there was probably only a couple hundred people that lived there at the time. And they used to like to come talk to him. He was sort of this, like, little old hermit from L.A., and they found him interesting. And these kids, um, there were three or four of them, and they were, you know, 10 to 13 at the time, Uh, the group of them, they um, had this nemesis named Old Joe. And Old Joe was a snapping turtle down at their favorite uh, swimming pond. And they were scared to death of him. <laughs> he was like, you know, the, uh, the great white in the ocean, right? And they were scared of, of him biting off their fingers. And, and they decided they were going to take out Old Joe. And so to do this, they needed a gun. So they went over and they broke into Jimmy Oder's house. And guess what they stole? A Harrington and Richardson twenty two pistol, previously owned by Dane Caesar. Now, these kids had no idea at the time what was about to happen to them because of this, this gun that was now in their possession. They had no, no inkling whatsoever. So they basically went down and tried to shoot the turtle. I don't think they ever got the turtle. But, um, you know, some bad people show up in Blue Mountain right around, you know, within three months of Yoder being located there. And their, um, the next-door neighbor to Jim Yoder was um, a guy by the name of Blackie Blackwell and he was shot through his screen door by a gentleman from Los Angeles and as as Yoder, or as, I'm sorry, Blackie Blackwell died in the ambulance, he said they were looking for Jim Yoder and we think it was a mistake, um, mistaken identity. So the guy was eventually caught um, in a nearby, he was hiding in a boat nearby and they actually caught him but prior to all of this happening, there were several deaths, mysterious deaths of these children in a small town. One was uh, accident, they called it an accidental drowning, but they found him drowned in the lake. Another one was run down on his bicycle and he was killed. Um, and another one died mysteriously. So three of the five kids, or six kids that had stolen his gun, turn up dead in the same year. Um, and so I'll just pause there for a second because. You know, these kids uh, basically had no idea why people were coming in town and, you know, harassing them and chasing them and scaring them in efforts to find this gun. And and many of them paid, you know, the ultimate sacrifice for it.
0: And it does seem as if things kind of, I mean, they got wild because Blue Mountain is a very small town. I mean, tiny Uh town. And... It's wild to me that, you know, the if you want to call it the the death that kind of fell upon this tiny town where coincidences might happen in large towns, but in small towns, it's a lot easier to point at those coincidences as not being coincidences at all. And I think it's also important to point out when it comes to Sirhan Sirhan that RFK Jr. doesn't believe and didn't believe that Sirhan Sirhan... The man convicted of assassinating his father on June fifth, nineteen sixty eight, had anything really to do with it. So there's a lot of strange uh, intelligence ties that come in. But let's get back to yeah. the small town of Arkansas because this is well amazing. And let me,
1: yeah. And so basically, um, Bo Carson went to the small town in nineteen ninety three, and you know found these kids um, who were. At this point, you know, alcoholics. They had a lot of, you know, psychological problems in their lives because of what had happened to their friends when they were younger. And so Bo got together with them and signed all of their rights. Um, He met with um, uh, Jim Yoder. Jim Yoder showed him a handwritten receipt, which we actually have a copy of, that um, says when he bought the Harrington & Richardson twenty-two pistol, Um, It was signed by Thane Caesar, and it had a date on it, which was actually three months after the assassination. So basically Thane Caesar lied to the investigators about, you know, the fact that he had a gun. He had it during the assassination, and he didn't sell it until afterwards. But back to this town, so Bo signed everyone's rights and started spending a lot of time there and going through the story and had a script writer with them. And, you know, the whole idea was to, like, you know, find out what happened um, in this town as a consequence of the assassination. And finally asked these kids, uh, you know, who are now grown up, and said, so what did you guys do with the gun? And they said, well, we threw it in this pond. And they went out and they showed Bo the location of the pond. And so Bo came in with some heavy equipment and they started digging up the pond and, you know, sifting through all the mud and with metal detectors and everything and they were about two weeks into the dig and Bo just thought oh these guys are just taking me for my money you know there's nothing here but he remembered that they had um talked about having a Red rider BB gun that they also had thrown into the pond and Bo got a call he was in LA and they said we have just found this metal uh handle of this Red Rider BB gun and so then Bo knew that they They were telling the truth. And within another week, they had uh, found the gun. And so Bo flew back out, took possession of the gun. I mean, this whole thing is documented with pictures and everything. And while they were digging up the lake, um, they had uh, a lot of mysterious helicopters, military helicopters, and and other people flying over and just had a very uncomfortable feeling about what they were doing. But Bo was able to recover the gun and um, brought it back to L.A., and um, at one point, the gun was sold to a gun collector in Texas, um, and that's uh, kind of how it ended up ended up in my hands. Um, so, going into 2007, um, I decided to you know having the gun in possession would be amazing from a marketing perspective. Keep in mind, I wasn't trying to solve an assassination mystery; I was only trying to make a movie, and so. My business partner and I purchased uh this twenty two revolver for about sixty thousand dollars and we had a private detective uh fly to Texas and, and drive it back to us. Um and the night that I received the um the gun, right, they brought it to my house was um the night that an entertainment uh tonight report broke suggesting that there were thirteen shots um uh, heard in the pantry that night. So they, they found an audio recording in the California State Archives. And um, when they listened to it and they analyzed it, they realized that there were 13 shot sounds. Not eight, but 13. And this kind of held up to what the eyewitnesses said, that you know there was a lot of shots being fired, and there were bullet holes in the walls and in the, the door jams. And so um, once they positively identified this 13 shot sounds which was on Entertainment Tonight, on my TV, the night I was receiving the gun in Los Angeles, I kind of freaked out, Ryan. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, oh my gosh, that's just brought um, just the, the timing of it, right? That it would be on the exact night that I was receiving this gun. And so I was scared. I was like, holy crap. You know, at, at this point, I I didn't really uh, know for sure if there was something to this, but you know, if you go look at anything online, Dane Caesar is frequently cited as the most likely candidate for the for the second gunman right
0: yeah
1: and i now owned his gun and i owned it um after this recovery and this uh you know this documentary hits on entertainment tonight and it it was pretty scary it was pretty concerning um so at that point i called my attorneys and i had them meet me uh downtown beverly hills and we put it into a safety deposit box at that point i had to get it out of my possession i was really scared that night. I thought potentially, you know, something terrible could happen and, you know, I don't want to have this thing in in my possession. So it went from really wanting it to market the film to being like, Oh my gosh, you know, I, I may have just bought the gun that killed Robert F. Kennedy. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was just a crazy, um, you know, realization that this was really a real thing. Right. And I think that's, that's when it hit me by the way. Um, Blue Mountain is also a hot spot for CIA. So I don't know if you ever saw the the movie about Tom Cruise as the pilot when he was going down to Central America and running drugs and
0: yeah, Air America, yeah,
1: yeah, bringing gorillas in and training them. That was Arkansas and in the same area um, as to what happened. So you know that area of Arkansas has always been a hot spot for um, for CIA activity. But anyway, so. uh, And,
0: and, and just really quick, mm-hmm. just so people, I you know, this blew me away, just how small a town this was. And, you know, the population then was around 120. I think in 2010, it was 124. And to, in 2021, it was 86. Just to kind of give people yeah. an idea that this, you know, these big things happening in a small town are not coincidence. Sorry to interrupt you there. Yeah,
1: no, I mean, there were four murders um, that year in Blue Mountain. Three of them were well the 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 kids murders, the one on the bike we know for sure was a hit and run, and then the other two were mysterious, but you know, four in a in a year, right? Right after the assassination. So, you know, I, I was thinking, okay, there's too many coincidences here, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> First of all, uh, you have this gun that ends up in this very small town, as you've just suggested, and all hell breaks loose, right? And if a gun had no relevance in the assassination, then why did people from L.A. come out looking for Jim Yoder and mistakenly, we think, kill Blackie Blackwell? Why were these kids... And these kids' stories, Ryan, I mean, they were chased through the woods. They had very, very detailed um, explanations of people coming and hunting them down and looking for them, and their friends started to mysteriously die. Um, and so they just wanted to get rid of the gun. Now, at one point, they buried a gun, uh, the gun under a bridge. And so FBI came to town apparently looking for the gun, and they dug up the bridge um, to find the weapon. And what's interesting about that is that um, if you go back and look at, um, you know, they told basically the people in town that they were doing some excavation work and they were building a bridge. They never suggested they were looking for a weapon. And all of the police reports for Blue Mountain, Arkansas, are missing that entire year of 1969. So it, it's just, um, there's just too many coincidences, right, as to, you know, the gun shows up and then all hell breaks loose. Four people lose their lives. Um, and so, you know, if, if the gun had just killed Kennedy, that would be one thing. But the fact that there's so much more to the history of this gun and how it ends up in a small town and people start paying, paying for it with their lives. So I get the gun in 2007. Um, we put it into a safety deposit box for a couple of years. Um, and then I moved to Las, uh, to Las Vegas. We had a really hard time raising money for the film. It had been shopped pretty hard in 1998, um, you know, to all of the, you know, uh, studios and to you know, big, big level producers, you know, we took it by Robert Redford, it went by Sean Penn, you know, uh, we had all sorts of actors and actresses, you know, picked out for it. Um, And we wanted to make the movie, we just could never get to the the $8 million that we needed for the budget of the film. So I I decided to take a break from the film business. And I sat on the gun for a very long time, I would say, from 2007 until, um, you know, just recently, The gun was sort of out of sight, out of mind from my perspective. Um, And, you know, I feel um, kind of a heavy responsibility for having it tucked away for so long, especially since Sirhan Sirhan has always claimed innocence and is now trying to get out of jail. And you mentioned Robert Kennedy Jr. um, also supports that claim, and they want to get him out of jail. He was just denied bail. Uh, recently. Um, he's, you know, pretty old now, and he wants to go home and be with his brother and die at home. The, the kid spent his entire life in jail, potentially for a crime he didn't commit.
0: It Yeah, so, and it's for sure. It does seem like they're just keeping him in jail to kind of keep the narrative tied, you know, together. Because at this point, I mean, since thane caesar died and i should note that he died in the philippines i believe in 2021
1: yes and mm-hmm. robert he F. Kennedy, died last, yeah, he just died
0: last year i mean that's fairly recent you would think at this point they would just give up the ghost but it does seem like these these old these old habits die hard and that the intelligence community is just trying to turn a blind eye to this hoping people forget about it that's right
1: and i think um all of those the three conspiracy theories that I talked about, I think are all interlinked. I think if you wanted to take out a high-powered uh, official that was about to become president, um, you would have the pansy, you know, shooting to create chaos, but you would have a backup. You would have somebody that was actually going to take the fatal shot. So I think Thane Caesar was involved. I think Sirhan was involved through hypnosis. And, uh, you know, there is a lot to be said around the polka dot dress. Um, there's a documentary that I've started to work on um, this previous year. I was asked by a production company. I can't go into too many details because I'm under a, a confidentiality mm-hmm. agreement. Um, but they came out and did some filming of us, and we, I went through the story and my husband and the kids, and we were, you know, talking about it. We uh, were able to present the gun, and um, about six months ago, I flew out to L.A., and we had a... Uh, famous um, ballistics, uh, forensic uh, person come out, and they did testing on the gun. We were able to, sh- to fire, I think, uh, 12 bullets. Now, I will tell you that, so the gun's in working order. We fired, filed the, bu- fired the bullets, and we're um, awaiting access into California State Archives to compare the bullets. Now, going back to what happened in 1968, there was a bullet pulled from Wiesel, which was one of the, the gentlemen in the room, and a bullet pulled from Kennedy, and they did not match. In mm. other words, they could not have been fired from the same gun. And it's also said that the two bullets pulled from Kennedy did not match the Iverson uh, twenty two revolver that Sirhan had. So you have two really credit, critical pieces of evidence. One saying there were two guns because we have different, you know, casing. Marks on these bullets, and the one that we, you know, the two bullets we pulled from Kennedy didn't match Sirhan's gun. So right there, not, not even including that there were more bullets um, found in the walls and the door jams, um, and Sirhan's gun only held eight. And we have an audio recording positively identifying thirteen shotguns. So for all of this to for all of this to happen, I think all of those theories kind of had to work together. I think you. You had to have CIA present. You had to have a pansy, which was Sirhan Sirhan. You had to have, um, you know, the actual assassin. And by the way, um, Thane Caesar had high-level security at uh, Lockheed Martin where he worked. And um, there's a lot more to this story than we can even get into. But um, there's definitely questions in my mind every day As Sirhan sits in jail, because if Sirhan did not fire the lethal weapon or the lethal bullet that killed Kennedy, then he committed attempted murder, and he would be out of jail by now.
0: For sure. And I think it's super scary. As you mentioned, uh, there's a bunch of things I don't want to forget. As you mentioned, you have a family. It's super scary that you've been sitting on the gun this long, because it seems like this weapon has a history of whoever it's around ends up dead. And there's a long, a long trail of that, especially in that small town of Arkansas, Blue Mountain. And with, I'm also really glad that you, I mean this is horrific. So I think you're doing the right thing, um, keeping it, but keeping it safe. And I think
1: well, I will, I will tell you, Ryan. So um, just so everybody knows, the gun is not at our residential location. It is in a very safe place. Now I did have to travel with the gun to LA. Um, you know when I uh, basically, when I took it out for the forensics. Mm-hmm. So the ballistic testing. Um, and that was scary, right? And I, I remember even going, you know, at the hotel, if we went up to the pool, I took it with me. Oh um, it, you know, it was a locked case, and I never let it out of my sight because of the historical significance of what I believe it is. And I really am doing everything now to try to, um, to, try to prove along with the people very much involved in, in the documentary that's going to be coming out, um, that talks about all of these conspiracy theories and how they're interwoven um, and how it's just not possible that Sirhan Sirhan killed Kennedy.
0: Agreed, and I'm so glad you said that. It's, and, and I'm also glad that you mentioned the hypnosis when it comes to Sirhan Sirhan, because that brings up a really big point, which is William Joseph Bryan, who he was kind of one of these mad scientist types and um, not taking away from Thane Caesar having very strange classified uh, programs that he was involved with in his section of Lockheed's Burbank facility. I mean, what are the odds that Thane Caesar is moonlighting as a security guard? And, uh-huh. and I think he only landed the job about a week earlier. And then we have this, this other kind of mad scientist guy, William Joseph Bryan, who many have called Sir Hans Handler who was involved with psychological warfare working with the cia during the cold war and Mm -hmm. uh he founded the american institute of hypnosis i mean he's not a slack so there's i i do believe that there's a little bit if we want to call it mk ultra i don't want to sound too crazy but a little bit of uh crime syndicate like operative situation with brian as far as him working for the cia and possibly doing their bidding
1: absolutely and you know, this theory was supported by uh, psychologist and hypnosis expert Edward Sim- Simpson Callis. Mm-hmm. He did 35 hours of work with Sirhan at San Quentin Prison in 1969. Sirhan claimed then, and has continued to claim, to have no memory whatsoever of the assassination or its aftermath. And this is supported by the work that, you know, 35 hours of hypnosis work that they did with Sirhan. And Sirhan's lawyers in 2010 accused the CIA of hip- hypnotizing Sirhan through the MK Ultra program and making him an involuntary participant in the assassination.
0: Man, and it does seem, I mean, it sounds really bad, but it does seem as if these things as tightly planned as they are, and this goes with both uh, Bobby and JFK, that there's always sort of that unwinding of the script that they don't count on and they come and try Mm -hmm. to clean up quickly and it gets messy. I think that this, this deal got pretty messy in the small town in Arkansas with, with how, how quickly they try to just clean things up. And it's evident as well with Oswald um, as, you know, as Jack Ruby takes him out. I mean, again, another coincidence. I don't think so. I think they're just cleaning things up so that they're neat and tidy. And we have similar, Kind of uh, playbooks on both, as far as you know, the lone gunman, this magic bullet theory, kind of uh, popping up in both scenarios, and it's obvious looking at the notes that this is uh, this gets this gets unwound just by luck itself, it seems, and that they are fairly messy when they come in and just try to clean it all up. Uh
1: mm-hmm. huh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now a lot of people will say, "Well, why didn't they go after Thane?" Well, because they had their pansy. There was no need to go after anyone because it would just support, you know, it would not support the claim that Duran was fired alone. But for someone to take out President Kennedy, it wouldn't have been a 24-year-old Christian Palestinian, you know, immigrant that, you know, was... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he had no reason to do it, right? And doesn't remember anything. Um, And Thane Caesar, another thing that we found out was Thane Caesar... Received two hundred fifty thousand dollars in diamonds shortly after the assassination, Mm. and that's when he moved to the Philippines. So there's a lot of interesting things that are going to come out. Um, You know, as you um, see this documentary, that um, you know, once it comes out, of course, we'll we'll get back online and we'll talk to you some more. Um, Because what I'm talking to you about is just one layer, and this assassination is so complex it will be like peeling a bunch of layers off an onion. I mean, you're not even going to believe the evidence that, um, you know, my producing partner has, has dug up on this whole thing. Now her interest in it, her name's Denise, her interest in the assassination is that her dad was a reporter and he was at the ambassador hotel that night. And he knows for certain that for hands, her hand did not, um, did not act alone and uh, was always just convinced, convinced. And he died three years ago. And, So Denise is carrying this through, and she also thinks that Sirhan Sirhan is wrongly imprisoned, and that's another reason. She meets with him all the time. Um, They are trying to, you know, get the ballistics from my bullets, from my gun, um, through testing so they can provide evidence. Now, one of the things that um, Sirhan's attorneys had said was that bullets were switched. Um, So in 2011, Sirhan's defense attorney Uh, William Pepper and Lori Dusick filed a 62-page brief in the court asserting that a bullet used as evidence to convict Sirhan was switched to another bullet at the crime scene. Um, The brief claims that this was done because the bullet taken from Kennedy's neck did not match Sirhan's gun. So again, keep in mind, that deadly shot was fired within one inch of his neck. And the only person that was in that firing position was Thane Caesar. He was on his right side escorting him sort of through the pantry. Another interesting fact is you can find pictures of Kennedy laying on the ground as he was after he was shot and Thane Caesar's necktie is laying right next to his body on the right side. And uh, well he wasn't dead Whoa. at that time, I apologize. And there's pictures of Thane Caesar before and after with the necktie on and without the necktie. So what that proves to us is we know that what do you do if, if somebody starts to shoot you from the right? What do you do? Your natural reaction is to lean in and kind of grab onto them, right? And we believe he grabbed on and pulled the necktie off it's before he fell.
0: This is fascinating. And mm-hmm. I think Thane Caesar is such a unique character. Not only the fact, the compelling evidence that suggests he did it, the fact that he received these diamonds, that he left the country, and, you know moonlighting as a security guard. It's almost as if being an employee in this classified section of Lockheed's Burbank facility, what are the odds that he would be with government ties and then moonlighting as a security guard? Um, Coming back to this interesting kind of Dr. Evil character of William Joseph Bryan Jr., the psychological warfare genius and hypnosis expert, I think it's interesting that the lawyer of Sirhan Sirhan claims that Sirhan was being hypnotized at the time of the uh, assassination and that this gentleman, Brian, it seems, ended up dead in a Las Vegas hotel room. Uh, Apparently, he liked call girls, but that, let's get to the, can we get into that a little bit and how...
1: Um, So, some of this I can't speak to, but I will tell you that... um, some of the call girls that you're referring to, uh, he actually bragged about, bragged to about um, hypnotizing Sirhan. Um, and so, like I said, when the documentary comes out, the docu whatever we end up making it, um, you're going to see layers and layers of facts around these different conspiracy theories, including the MK Ultra program, which we now almost believe we can prove that um, Sirhan Sirhan fell victim to.
0: Wow. And somehow this guy seemed that this was okay. Like he had a different moral code than most people. He even wrote a book called legal aspects of hypnosis. (laughs) And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's just fascinating to me that these Pat, the, I mean, the deer in the headlights look that Sirhan Sirhan had after the event, almost like what just took place. Like, uh, I think, Uh you know, they call it, I think they call it a white fog which is common with these MK ultra victims that all you need to do is basically have them do nothing just basically be there and uh, in in you, you know do one action which was pulling the gun and that's all you need the rest the rest is all taken care of and sir han's lawyer you know has always maintained that not only was his client under hypnosis at the time of the shooting but he argued that Sirhan was a patsy that was being planned to be arrested or preferably shot. I think they really wanted him to be shot that day while, while the Mm -hmm. real assassin escaped. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think they were really expecting him to be killed?
1: You know, uh, from, from my perspective, I don't know because this happened before I was born. You know, this happened uh, in June of 1968 and I was born in 1973. So, Who knows? I think, um, I think my, my assertion to all of this, Ryan, is that same Caesar killed Robert Kennedy. And, um, as you mentioned, um, Sir Hanserhan was a Patsy and he was under MKUltra program and hypnotized. And there was, um, CIA there. Um, and I think it was all orchestrated. I think it's a very complex, orchestrated, um, you know, assassination, mm-hmm. and it's also considered the most botched assassination uh, investigation in U.S. history. Even worse than JFK. Um, so, a lot of the evidence um, was uh, was eventually destroyed, um, but there are bullets, and I think I think one of the main pieces of evidence that should free Sirhan immediately is the forensic experts saying that they've they've positively identified thirteen shotguns. When I heard that, I knew for certain that the gun I had just purchased most likely was the gun that killed um, Robert Kennedy.
0: Wow. And, you know, what's so interesting, and this is something that totally blows me away, and I, I was not very well Hurst, in. I didn't have a lot of investigation going into this as far as the diamond payoff to yeah. thane caesar i mean this may have mm-hmm. ties there's something called the gemstone files um and there's again so many coincidences when it comes to meyer lansky um we have onassis we have and meyer lansky there's a lot of rumors that well not rumors i guess it's proven that he was working with various intelligence organizations worldwide including the Mossad, and they would often pay people in diamonds And Uh this goes back to uh, the fact that Onassis, um, we have, (laughs) you know, he was involved with the Gemstone Files and Meyer Lansky. And then we also have, you know, Jackie ending up hanging out with Onassis a lot. There's so many strange connections that, Uh you know, this Meyer Lansky guy was involved with both the JFK and possibly now with this payoff in Gemstones the bobby kennedy assassination i mean as as time goes on i mean it's been my gosh it's been like over 60 years we recently have this this new they, they keep like sprinkling and peppering a little bit of these files opening them and redacting them we recently had some more come out but the fact is that even this administration is not coming forward with the truth why do you think uh-huh. they are hiding this after so much time
1: um, that's a good question. Um, uh, I think clearly because, uh, governmental agencies were involved and I don't think they want it to, disclo- I don't think they want it disclosed.
0: Yeah, it is. It's, and you know, another scary part to me is, as you said, this stuff happened before I was born and, you know, if we cannot, uncover and dig up what happened with the deep state back then just imagine the power that it has now
1: absolutely i i think just from my perspective you know um this is just such a historic um piece of american history and the gun that we own um definitely had a piece of it had a part in it and i'm excited to see you know if we can um close this out once and for all through the investigative work that the production team has done they've been all over the country filming interviewing um individuals and uh it's pretty amazing what's going to come out in this whole thing
0: well i think you're doing the right thing i think you know it's it's a shame that sirhan sirhan is still locked up given the fact that the bullet was switched he was probably brainwashed or hypnotized and Mm -hmm. you know the the cover story is just got so many holes in it at this point. And I, I think that this, this small town of blue mountain and the second gun theory, you know, the way they just came through, like literally an eraser to erase the history of what took place there all due to this snapping turtle is fascinating in my opinion, how these little things can undo these major political plans and Mm -hmm. you know to think that a snapping turtle is going to cause all of that to just go into this crazy rabbit hole unbelievable
1: yeah the the story uh that we always wanted to tell was you know consequences of what happens in a small town when you know this character shows up which is the gun the gun is the character and and um, our script was always around, you know, flashbacks to the assassination throughout the movie, but really focusing on a sheriff who was losing control of the town, bad things were happening, kids were dying, all chaos and hell was breaking loose, and could not, you know, could not contain the situation. And no one understood that it was linked to Robert Kennedy's assassination. And I think the, the story itself is called Blue Mountain, and it's, it's an interesting script. Um, the work that I've been involved with uh, recently is documented a documentary which is documenting uh, all of the facts around the investigation from the polka dot theory to the mentoring candidate theory to the second gun theory and so much more and I think uh, I think viewers will be really amazed by what's uncovered in the documentary
0: I know I can't wait it's going to be epic um, I'm I obviously pray for your safety just being in these circles and having such a tragic piece of not only truth, but memorabilia there having to do with the history of this country. But it does seem as if this, this could be one of the keys, if not the key to kind of unwind this whole thing as far as ballistics. And um, yeah, I'll I'll definitely try to stay in touch with you. I can't thank you enough for coming on today. Is there any last things or parting tidbits you want to touch base on before i keep ranting about all this
1: no i I definitely will let you know when the documentary is coming out so maybe you can uh give us a little pr out there to your listeners um i will just say you know all things being equal if the gun had nothing to do with the assassination then why did the events of blue mountain happen um and to this day that will always sit with me so that's it
0: oh that's amazing and what name what name should we keep an eye out for on the documentary um or do we should we not hit that yet
1: yeah i think tbd right now but um we'll see i'll let you know as soon as we get the name uh, announced
0: man i love her she's amazing so much valuable information too okay moving on well we're brought back to the fact that mk ultra plays a part in many conspiracy theories Given its nature and the deconstruction of most records, we have people that are covered under NDAs and usually subcontracted through sub-LLCs that are held in the top secret filing cabinets of larger corporations who are protected by the government. And there's Project Artichoke. I mean, let's get into this because Artichoke was a real project. Its objective was to gather information from prisoners, not hypnotize people into shooters. However, there are many who claim that there was MKUltra aspects to Project Artichoke. It was a CIA project that researched interrogation methods and it arose from Project Bluebird on August twentieth, 1951. It was run by the Office of Scientific Intelligence, that's one of the CIA's more lesser-known offices, and a memorandum by Richard Helms to CIA Director Alan Welsh-Dulles indicated Artichoke became Project MKUltra on April 13, 1953, where it incorporated hypnosis, forced morphine addiction, and subsequent forced withdrawal. That's important. Because the use of other chemicals, as well as LSD and other methods to produce amnesia and other vulnerable states in subject, was highly needed. That deer-in-the-headlights look is not a mistake. Now, artichoke was an offensive program of mind control that gathered information with intelligence divisions of the Army, Navy, Air Force, and even the FBI. There's a lot of cross-pollination when it comes to all of these intelligence organizations. The scope of the project was outlined in a memo dated January 1952 that stated, Can we get control of an individual, and this is in quotes, Can we get control of an individual to the point where he will do our bidding against his will and even against fundamental laws of nature, such as self-preservation. Now that is scary, scary stuff. When you look at the true goal of what these projects MKUltra mind control projects had in mind, to commit atrocities even while not caring about themselves. Now, these are, these are not just accusations. These are actual documents that we, we, we th- this is not just for fun. These are operations and secret arrangements that very much had to do with major aspects of our country's history. Let's not lose sight of the bigger picture that there is a lot of evidence that Mossad was involved from an intelligence perspective in these assassination attempts. Now, these are not missing links to the conspiracy. These are very real Zionist connections. We have the payment to Thane Caesar in diamonds, which... Not to get stereotypically connected, but diamonds were used, as many of the gemstone files attribute, to paying off assets of intelligence in forms other than cash, because it's not traceable, of course. Let's not forget about Meyer Lansky, because this is a guy who's paying them off. I mean, at the top of the totem pole, Meyer Lansky comes up again and again, the connections to both Kennedy assassinations are various. And when anybody says that the mob was run by Italians at this point, I believe they're completely wrong. It was run by Meyer Lansky. These two assassinations of two brothers are tied, and tied intimately to one another. So Israel exploited the Western powers' long history of opium trafficking. Now, Mossad has always had a large hand in the dealings of the West, let's not forget many of the connections to the mega group Epstein and things in more recent times. Stuff has not really changed all that much. I believe that the rudimentary tools that we are discussing—MK Ultra and these honeypots of disinformation and control via different intelligence aspects worldwide—dealing specifically with organized crime syndicates, extremely protected, top-secret organizations and companies, corporations to be exact, still continue. Although protections against them still continue as well. I am reminded of a scary story of a small boy running towards a ravine down a bridge that was being chased by a van, a strange van that pulled up on this 8-year-old boy in Tacoma, Washington, and the kid knew something was wrong. Now, the boy's parents, his grandfather, and the police took the incident extremely seriously. The media later would disclose what the grandfather was worth, at least in their opinion. I'm sure he was worth much more. We're talking about the grandfather being Meyer Lansky, a very pivotal person in our history. And I'm talking major worth. We're talking about Meyer Lansky's grandson. That's right. He was almost abducted. He got a new name. The boy's parents divorced seven years later, and shortly after, this boy arrived at his new home in Southern California with his mother. And he learned that he would be getting a new name, and that name would be Brian Mason. Now it was not a chosen name, but if you look at the name, it has a lot to do with the connections to Freemasonry, in my opinion, and many of the intelligence organizations. The name Mason is often used. So, growing up, this boy knew that he could never have anything of the gangster life because he was the grandson of Meyer Lansky. He had a grandfather who was all about it, immersed in it, and made many of the top decisions in a lot of organized crime. Not to mention that Meyer Lansky was also the accountant. He knew where the money would go on a lot of these projects that had ties to intelligence, whether that be on a more organized crime perspective or more of a political government perspective. They were all interconnected in an octopus of control. And within the cranial epicenter of control was Meyer Lansky. He was aware of all movements, especially the financial ones. So just to think that you cannot be involved in such major moves and expect your future generations to be exempt from some of the possible harm that may come to them. You can imagine my fear of having family members sitting on possession of the gun that killed Bobby Kennedy. This is a gun that everywhere it goes, there is a trail of death behind it. Luckily, as you heard, Lori keeps this gun in a safe place, off-site, away from her family, intelligently, in a chain of command style where it cannot be traced back to their well-being. These are very real concerns because time does not seem to be a safe enough buffer to protect somebody or even their grandchildren in the case of Meyer Lansky. Meyer Lansky was a shot caller. He was the boss of all bosses and to break it down for everyone he was at the top of the totem pole having to do with many of these heavily CIA and Mossad influenced assassinations. Meyer, along with a few of his closest buddies, started the National Crime Syndicate, which was later termed Murder Incorporated. This was a business, an assassination business. Lansky was connected to George Montello, also known as, or better known as, George Mandel, who, utilizing plausible deniability through a Mossad front company, founded by him, called Permandex made this all happen. Permandex was a financial holding company, an assassination company, literally, and it assassinated, through its connections, John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King, and many others. We're talking about major money laundering through and connected to Meyer Lansky, equaling assassinations worldwide. And this is the proof that the mafia, the CIA, and the Mossad were all working together worldwide. Sirhan Sirhan and Oswald were just patsies. In my opinion, they were set up, and set up well. In fact, many of the same scenarios took place in both cases. I mean, they lost Oswald's fingerprints, they had bullet switching with Sirhan Sirhan, we have william joseph bryan the heavyweight mk ultra operative who carried out some of the greatest patsy brainwashing ever and this is some serious psychological warfare that if it was not for him bragging to call girls we may have not made some of these connections now this was a heavyweight in the mk ultra game and with obvious ties to the bobby kennedy assassination through his hypnosis of sir han Sirhan. it seems as if he was disposed of at age 50. in the spring of 1977 brian was found dead in a las vegas motel room i think in an inebriated status he just said too much to the wrong people now get this if this doesn't have conspiracy written all over it his cause of death was confirmed before any official autopsy and the details were all over the map and inconsistent some reports assert that he died of a heart attack others stated he was shot to death others claim he committed suicide after having a three-day party of sorts with two underage prostitutes the truth is we will never exactly know last but not least brian was a close friend of jfk plot suspect david ferry he taught ferry And they were both members of the old Catholic Church, a secret order and a secret society. And that's the case with a lot of these things, is we may never exactly know exactly what happened. But I think we have a greater sense of the larger scheme of things and have an idea of what happened in a general sense. And that's as close as we can get in the pursuit of truth. We know some shady business took place. We know people were killed. We know who did it. And what else do you really need to know? We know those who have looked at the files have declared that, in fact, intelligence was involved. Now, regardless what you think of Roger Stone or Donald Trump, there is an interesting tidbit in a conversation they both had. This is undeniable at this point. In fact, Roger Stone said that in speaking to Donald Trump, Trump told him that it was too ugly to ever see the light of day. When speaking of these files, nothing but lies seem to permeate the entire official narrative. In both JFK and Bobby Kennedy's assassinations, we have various accounts of how many bullets were found, fired, shots heard. It's all over the map, and it's all lies. There were probably multiple assassins in both scenarios. In fact, I'm sure there were multiple assassins, and probably quite a few in the case of JFK. Unpacking that conspiracy, Woody Harrelson's father was even implicated. There may have been so many hitmen. He was a professional hitman, by the way. Woody Harrelson's father, Charles Harrison, was a hitman. He was most famous for carrying out the first ever murder of a sitting federal judge in the United States. During a standoff with police, he not only admitted to killing the judge, but also President John F. Kennedy, who was assassinated in 1963. Many claim there were multiple assassins there. I believe the same is true with Bobby Kennedy. And the House committee investigations into JFK And the investigations by the government into Bobby Kennedy have been nothing but cover ups, in my opinion, and the opinion of countless others. At least in one way or another, there is always someone involved in the investigation who is there to sweep things under the rug so that they are not seen. In the case of JFK, we have George Joannidis. And I believe that this is common. You know, we have people who are placed in positions where they have the ability to cover up whatever investigation it is they are a part of. It's easiest to do from the inside, not the outside. George Joannidis was the head of psychological warfare for J.M. Wave, and when the House Assassination Committee was formed, the CIA assigned George Joannidis as their primary point of contact, so he cleaned everything up. He covered everything up, swept everything up under the rug. Something that is often overlooked is George Bush's part in all this. And the reason I bring that up is George Bush was in Daly Plaza the day of the shooting with JFK. George Bush Sr., when he got into office, did everything he could to clean up the whole operation, including his presence there. However, a letter that made it to the National Archives proved that he was in fact there. It was just a family letter, and he flew out on a private plane. In fact, in a book named Family of Secrets by Russ Baker, there are detailed descriptions and allegations connecting the Bush family and, of course, the Central Intelligence Agency, The book asserts that President George H.W. Bush was linked to the Watergate scandal and the assassination of John F. Kennedy and, by that association, Robert Kennedy. So here are the meat and potatoes. The highest levels of elites who are in the most prominent positions of power are involved in occult rituals and... These two assassinations have occult aspects written all over them. However, trying to prove this to people in general is often enough for the majority of folks to lose interest and walk off, so I'm going to move forward just asserting that this is a fact, but there are occult implications. Nuts and bolts, what happened? Well, as far as Robert Kennedy, the shooter was Thane Caesar. As far as JFK, multiple shooters are involved. From the book Depository Building, the shooters were Sergio Arcacha, Smith, Lawrence Howard, and Lauren Hall, and of course, the shooter, the well-known kill shot, was done by Jack Valenti, who was CIA, a graduate of Harvard Business School. Both parents had ties to the Mafia a definite spook, and was on the payroll. Now keep in mind that Sergio Arcasha Smith, Lawrence Howard, and Lauren Hall were working with both CIA and the quote-unquote mob. Not to say there weren't other shooters and a whole bunch of others involved so don't get caught up. The power of the secret government over the news media continues, unabated. That power has only grown since these events... And justifiably, it is known that by way of Masonic sorcery, the union of opposing principles is supposed to be brought about, and people that practice Masonic sorcery are those in control. Bush Sr. and Bush Jr. were both members of Skull and Bones. Speaking of Masonic sorcery, ironically, when George Bush Sr.'s son, who also became president, also Skull and Bones initiated, George W. Bush dedicated the Department of Justice headquarters in Robert F. Kennedy's honor on November 25, 2001, on the day he formally named the department after her father. Carrie Kennedy denounced the administration for allegedly infringing on constitutional rights in its prosecution of the War on Terrorism. This was obviously adding insult to injury in her opinion, and who would know better? Few families in U.S. history have succumbed to the losses the Kennedys have. Sadly, these losses were at the hands of a global Zionist-affiliated syndicate of intelligence and organized crime, Octopus of Control, comprised of the CIA, Mossad, and other criminal organizations. Backed behind the spiritual veil by elite occult rituals and an endeavor, to bring about syncretism in opposing principles of a mystic power and via Masonic sorcery rebuild the Temple of Solomon and create and concrete a one-world government and new world order. Finally, I would like to close with a quote from Robert F. Kennedy who spoke movingly about what was the need for love and compassion. Crazy ideas. At the end of his victory speech at the Ambassador Hotel, Kennedy said, I think we can end the divisions within the United States. What I think is quite clear is that we can work together in the last analysis. And what has been going on with the United States over the period of the last three years, the divisions, the violence, the disenchantment with our society, the divisions, Whether it's been black and white, between the poor and the more affluent, or between age groups, or over the war in Vietnam, that we can start to work together again. We are a great country, an unselfish country, and a compassionate country, as I intend to make that my basis for running over the period of the next few months. Minutes later, he was shot. Hours later, he died and if you have not subscribed to hero paranormal on youtube please do it helps us break through the algorithm share these episodes to your social media and even though they will not monetize me no matter what it will help destroy the very real shadow ban also if you have not subscribed to hero paranormal on patreon please do there is a ton behind the paywall a ton of content a ton of episodes You can also support Hero Paranormal on Podbean at heroparanormal.com. Again, a ton of content and episodes behind the paywall. You're really missing out if you don't. Until next time, keep your eyes to the skies, feet on the ground, but don't forget to take a look around.
1: Come, blast off in my time machine. Third, I feel like an evising. Blast off. Blast off. Blast off. Blast off. Come, blast off in my time machine. Third, I feel like an evising. Blast off. Blast off. Blast off.